electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Scott Wapner, Leslie Picker. Jim Cramer and David Faber have the morning off. This year-end melt-up rolls on this morning. Futures pretty solid after four straight days of S&P gains. Got a decent shot at 4,800 at the open. Uh, Ten-year yield is just below 147. Our roadmap begins with records within reach. S&P is coming off 69 record closes this year. And the Dow less than a percent away from its its own new all-time high. Plus, Apple closing up shop in New York City as Omicron rips through the U.S. The CDC now cutting the isolation restriction for those infected with COVID in half. We'll bring you up to speed on the very latest. And the year that was for Kathy Wood as none of her ARC funds beat the S&P this year, at least so far. A look back at her big moves and what's ahead, Carl. Guys, got a lot to unpack this morning regarding the market action in the last few days. But really, uh, Leslie, it really was those CDC guidelines, uh, cutting uh, quarantine isolation guidelines in half, that is uh, reflecting a period now where thanks to a variant that's a little more mild and thanks to a couple hundred million people vaccinated now, uh, governments can afford to be maybe a little more practical, maybe a little more flexible. And that's going to have a big impact on some of the uh, cuts in early 22 growth forecasts we've seen lately. Absolutely. Absenteeism has been a big issue in the economy so far. You've seen it in airlines. You've seen it on Broadway. You've seen it all across the restaurant industry, all of these places where the virus clearly extremely contagious. And then when you have a labor force that's required to quarantine for 10 days, that has a really big impact on their ability to staff. And then you've put kind of the holiday season on top of everything. There have been a lot of businesses, Scott, that have really struggled during this time to stay open at the very least, let alone make sure that they're providing good service and doing what they're supposed to be doing. So it'll be really interesting to see if this shorter quarantine period changes the game without sacrificing, of course, health uh, of the community as well. It's funny you say changing the game because the words that I was really thinking of when you think about this, and I don't necessarily think it's overstating, it is game changer for the very industries that you just talked about. The ones that we led the show off guys yesterday with, we showed all the airline stocks that were down as a result of the cancellations, healthcare workers, healthcare companies, restaurants, every uh, sort of hospitality job that you can think of. We're talking about the industries, but let's talk about the people too. Those who are, are relying on hourly wages, this is a big deal as well. I think it's a big deal on the psyche of the American public. I saw some tweets last night suggesting that this announcement was the beginning of the end of the pandemic. At least it helps people see the light, uh, if you will, at the end of the tunnel. And frankly, I think the stock market reflects that, Carl. When you look at the S&P, we could be talking 4,800 for the very first time ever uh, off the open this morning. 
Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about um, maybe overbought conditions and what it means when we're seeing so many new, actually, 52-week lows in the midst of these record highs. But, you know, I, I think you guys are both right. Um, you could argue that this move by the CDC is probably disinflationary and that it's going to help supply chain workers and logistics and truck drivers and ports uh, ha have those workers who do get infected get back to work even earlier than they otherwise would have. And then, of course, there's the president trying to localize the response to all of this a couple of years in, but again, with the tailwind of vaccinations and this milder strain, saying, look, the solutions here from this point forward are going to be done at the state level. Take a listen. There is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road, and that's where the patient is in need of help or preventing the need for uh, help. Maybe um, one of the more uh, constructive things we saw last night, Leslie, was out of Funstrat. Again, our friend Tom Lee, who does really good high-frequency work when it comes to the, uh, the pandemic. The incremental hospitalization rate is what he's calling it. The seven-day hospitalization rate over seven-day new cases. In his words, rolling over hard, never really got to where it was in Delta, never really got to where it was in Wave 1. But in Tom's words, the surest sign that the hysteria phase of Omicron has peaked. And in his uh, view, in prior waves, S&P actually bottomed median 12 days before the peak on those waves. So, again, sort of uh, ratifies, at least in the short term, the price action we've seen these last few days. Yeah, and I hope that this is, uh, as Scott was indicating and as, as Tom Lee kind of demonstrates from that chart, the beginning of the end here, because really the reason behind the lockdowns that we saw in March 2020 it wasn't necessarily because people were concerned about getting sick. It was because people were concerned about overwhelming the hospitals. So if you see that hospital hospitalization rate uh, maintain a, a, a stable level and, a, and the ability for hospitals uh, to actually treat patients and to treat patients who aren't even sick with COVID, that's, that's really the end goal here is to make sure that all of our systems are functioning and our, institution, our institutions are functioning appropriately so that we can carry on daily life as we know it. Now, I think that is kind of the key question as we, we look at the, the hold that Omicron will take. Now, important to know, most people believe it has not yet peaked yet, and they're expecting that all of the interactions that people had with their relatives and all the travel that was going on uh, you know, over the last week or so that will really kind of shape up and, and we'll really see the effects of that um, in the first two weeks of January, say, Scott. There was this also this other study that, you know, some are, are focusing on this morning. Uh, very positive is the perception of it. And I saw Dr. Gottlieb was retweeting it last night as well, guys, was this study out of South Africa suggesting that Omicron was going to displace a Delta and that was going to be a good thing as well. If Tom Lee had that in his back pocket, he would have used that as well as to the reasons why he told me yesterday on the halftime report that he thinks there's a lot of fuel uh, left in the tank of, of this rally. He said some other things that we can talk about in a minute about sort of what happens next. But in the meantime, for more on the markets, let's bring in our market guest uh, to start things off today, UBS Private Wealth Management's Ali McCartney, City's Scott Crone. It's good to have you both with us. Uh, Ali, I'll begin with you. More fuel in. Uh, well, I'm just told Scott is just with us at, the, at, uh, at this time. Okay. So we'll, Scott, we'll start with you. Uh, sure. Uh, Tom Lee says there's more fuel in the tank. Do you agree? 
Well, I think what we have to be cognizant of is that the flow backdrop for equities has been pretty solid all year, characterized by you know, very, very strong flow action into you know, broad-based U.S.-listed ETFs and mitigated by lesser outflows in the traditional mutual funds. So the flow backdrop continues to, uh, in our view, kind of su support the action we've seen into the broader S&P 500 and broader market complex. How do we deal with the issue of what's priced in in terms of uh, a more a tighter Fed? Um, is right. it in so this the is market where, yet yeah. or are we just enjoying are, are we just are we just enjoying a period of time here and then reality is going to set in shortly after the beginning of the year? It's a really good point. So, you know, we're using an end of 22 target of 4,900. When we set it a couple of months ago, that gave us mid to upper single digit upside. That's not the case where we are currently. I think the way we have to think about this is as you push higher into the end of the year, um, you, you see valuations lift. The S&P is trading at about you know, 24 times right now. And that's predicated on, real, on no real change in our 22 earnings growth outlook, which is around 8% or so. So essentially what you do is the, the further you push the market higher into the end of the year, the more pressure you put on earnings and the need to come through with probably stronger than expected earnings as we move into Q4 reporting and then into the uh, 22 outlooks. Scott, a lot of people watching, um, you know, as we've talked about the last couple of days, sort of the narrowing leadership and some of the internals. For example, a uh, number of new lows uh, earlier in the week, uh, double the number of new highs on the NYSE with the S&P at a 52 week high. It's only happened a few times, all of them in December of 99. So as people right. look for analogs to that period, are, are, are they trying to, is it too glib or are there real uh, similarities to that period here? I, I think there's a little bit of, of, of know your index here and how it relates to what's traded on the NYSE. So if you look at the S&P 500, for example, work we did last week suggested that your average stock is off, let's say, 11 percent or so from 52 week highs. This is very typical. It's very consistent with the historic pattern. And, and, and that breadth issue under the surface often tracks with volatility pretty closely. The other thing I would say here is that when you look at the S&P 500, you know, back of the envelope math is your top 10 weights are probably 30 percent of the total index. And those have contributed, contributed about 40 percent of the index gains. Said differently, the S&P 500 equal weighted index is trading up this year roughly on par with the core index. So, so that, that issue under the surface is less about the S&P 500 and more about um, if you, in, in the smaller mid-cap asset classes. On the small cap front, you look at what's happened with the healthcare component this year, which is where you have a lot of biotechs, and um, they've really struggled. And as a result, while we're looking at this growth bias in large cap, where growth has outperformed value for the better part of the year, that's not been the case further down the market where value is actually outperformed and, and led growth. Interesting. Um, I want to bring in Allie McCartney now, who is with us. She's of UBS Private Wealth Management, a managing director there. Allie joins us by phone. Um, Allie, we were just discussing with Scott this idea that there's this massive dispersion that we're seeing when you kind of pull back uh, the indexes and look at what's under the hood. Um, he was mentioning that the average S&P 500 constituent is down 11 percent from its 52-week high. Given what we've seen with the Santa Claus rally, which really looks at indexes broadly, do you think that this is the time to actually buy the broader indexes or is it more of a time for stock selection? 
It's a great question. I think it's really hard to buy a lot of indices right now, both in terms of where we are in terms of historical valuation and in terms of what we're expecting next year and being very late cycle. So I think part of the Santa Claus rally is you have the the balloon has burst a little in terms of concern about Omicron creating lockdown and curtailing the economic recovery. And so markets have sort of gone up because we have gotten a lot of the sellers, the excess selling out of the market in the last five to six weeks. We've had about $350 billion in excess sales. So I think it, there's sort of this slow bleed higher, but I don't think you're going to have any real leadership, which is what you just talked about, until we get into earnings next year and we actually start to see what's working. So we're doing a lot of thematic investing. Uh, UBS has come up with, I think, a pretty clever mnemonic called the ABCs of technology, um, A being AI, B being big data, and C being cybersecurity. That is an area where I think exactly what you said in terms of stock selection, in terms of both the secular economy and where we're going, there's going to be some interest there. And I still like small caps because I think that we have a recovery that feels like it's long in the tooth. But when you look at the numbers for retail sales that we just got, I think there's more to go. Why, why haven't they, Ali, gotten more of a bid, speaking of the small caps? We spent all this time talking about the S&P 500 at these record highs. Um, Carl was referencing maybe some overbought uh, areas of the market like mega caps. Bespoke had an interesting bit of data out this morning over the last five days. The money's been going into the mega caps. If you look at the Russell 2000, though, we're still talking about 8% or so away from record highs. So if it's so attractive, why isn't it moving? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's generally a lot of fear there. There are less people comfortable playing. And unlike mega caps, which are super comfortable for both individual and institutional investors because they're so well covered and they're so similar, both in terms of growth trajectory and market cap, all small caps are not created the same. So when you look at a small cap index, you have you know, uh, you have companies that are growth companies that may never make it and, you know, are cash flow negative. And you have growth companies where uh, they're actually been paying dividends. They've been, you know, small tap, uh, cap contributors for a very long time. And so I think when you talk about stock selection as opposed to buying the indices, that is a place that we see a lot of value. But again, it's not going to be because we are buying the whole haystack, right? We are going to buy those few needles in there and use managers to do that. Appreciate you both being with us this morning. Allie and Scott, we'll Thank talk to you, you. soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Les? When we return, you can call it this year's dog of the NASDAQ 100, or I guess maybe downward dog for those yogis out there. Peloton losing more than three quarters of its value this year is a rebound in store for 2022. Let's take a look at the futures right now. Uh, Dow has given back some of its earlier gains. Now it's uh, about flat, up just one point at this point in time. Uh, the S&P 500 indicated to open about uh, 4.6 uh, points higher. More Squawk on the Street ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. 
so millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Shares of Peloton down more than 70% this year. Worst performer of the year on the NASDAQ 100. Our next guest uh, says riders may return in 2022, uh, motivated by some lower hardware pricing. Joining us this morning to talk about Peloton is Raymond James analyst Aaron Kessler. Aaron, Happy New Year. Good to have you. Yes, Happy New Year. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Interesting um, thoughts about you still think guidance for, for 22 is is aggressive and you still believe that a lot of demand was, in fact, uh, pulled forward by by COVID. Yeah, no, that's still our view. So the company got to about one million to about one point one million net ads in terms of subscriber growth for fiscal 22, which ends June. Um, if you had that pre-COVID, the company was more on the track of kind of five hundred thousand per year. They were kind of north of a million last year. But we think in this environment where people are looking to. Uh, get out of their homes more. Obviously, the economy's reopened a lot. Uh, a lot of demand was pulled forward, as we mentioned in our note. And so we think all these are kind of creating some near-term headwinds. We we looked at some of the data uh, recently. If you look at some of the Google search trends that data for December quarter, still shows consumers are searching for Peloton about 30% than they did last year during the December quarter. Um, we think clearly that shows uh, demand was pulled forward, less interest right now in kind of at-home fitness. Um, we still like the long-term trends of at-home fitness, but near-term, we think a lot of that demand was pulled forward. And we're still a little bit skeptical that they can hit a million subscriber growth for the fiscal 22. Yeah. Um, what do you think? How, how do you characterize uh, demand headwinds relative to some of the supply headwinds that they actually dealt with uh, really earlier in the year? Yeah. So supply headwinds were an issue before. Um, we think they've a lot of those have been alleviated now, especially as the demand has slowed. So before you're kind of in a perfect storm of you had a high demand and low supply. Now we're seeing a little bit of the opposite. Supplies come back online, but demand has fallen here. So if anything, the company recently said they're going to be kind of looking to cut some costs, uh, hiring freezes. So we think we're at the op opposite end of that spectrum right now where demand's starting to slow a bit. Um, and But the supply and the positive supply side, uh, supply issues have become less of a headwind, we would say, near term. Aaron, we think of Peloton as kind of this quintessential stay-at-home stock, but pre-pandemic, they had actual classes that people could pay a lot of money. I've taken them, and they are not cheap for an hour-long class. Uh, and you take a class in person with your favorite instructor. Um, that, of course, that spigot has been completely turned off for the last two years as they've just had the instructors in a room by themselves. Do you think that's a potential revenue driver in 2022 as we think about new ways that they can cater yep. to uh, a more open economy? Yeah, no, I think it's a good question longer term. So before uh, kind of pre-COVID, they did have their New York studio, and now they have a couple of other studios. But to your point, those are not uh, 
for kind of people off the street to come in. We do think that's an interesting question, though. We've done a couple of surveys that have shown, even with at-home fitness now, people really wanted to get back to the gyms. Um, so the, obviously the company's view is that everyone would kind of stay to doing at-home fitness, even post-COVID, but that's not really what's happened. People have returned to the gym. They want to get out of their houses more. Uh, interesting question is, will Peloton look to do some type of offline strategy longer term? Um, they haven't really mentioned that, but we would look uh, for that as a possible uh, growth area longer term to maybe you, you get the benefit as we've seen with maybe with Equinox, you have a uh, gym membership, plus you can also have the digital membership on top of that. So that's an interesting idea longer term that they may look to explore to really cement their brand. Aaron, what about a more diversified pipeline? You know, we've gone from bikes to treadmills. What do you know of, if anything, that could be in the pipeline in the future? Does yep. Peloton need something? And also the idea of the company potentially being acquired uh, maybe buy a, a fitness-related company, a, a gym company, for example? Yeah, so we, we'll, we'll expect other products. I mean, I think the research has shown by far um, treadmills and bikes are kind of your two leading categories. So we think everything else is much smaller than those two large categories. But we do think there are other areas. company has clearly has intentions of a rower. We've seen kind of designs for that. Um, we've seen some strength products that they've, they've talked about that they're going to be launching one of those shortly, which is kind of a, called the guide, Peloton guide, which helps you with your form. Um, we could see a, maybe like a tonal type of product um, from Peloton, which uh, we've seen a lot of advertising for that product recently. But to your point, we do think whether Peloton gets acquired or Peloton be, is the acquirer, we do think it's likely we'll see some consolidation within the at-home fitness space with some of the slowing growth that we're seeing that would make a lot of sense to get more um, scale efficiencies, uh, whether it's cost efficiencies or revenue synergies across the board. So we do think we would expect more uh, consolidation in this space over the next year or two. Yeah, uh, it has been a fascinating um, uh, experience watching the shares and the evolution of the company at large. We'll see what 22 brings. Aaron, appreciate it very much. Thanks again. Aaron Great, Kessler, Raymond James. Thank you. All right, still to come, the Omicron effect is cancellations impact the travel industry. Don't miss an exclusive with Booking Holdings CEO Glenn Fogel. We'll do that next hour. Let's take a look at futures. Try to extend those record highs for the S&P 500, pushing on 4,800 for the first time ever. We're positive across the board. More Squawk on the Street when we come back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Been a bit of a roller coaster for cryptocurrencies last few days. Today, a little bit of some red arrow action. Bitcoin back down close to 49K, uh, roughly where the 200 day moving average is. It's been between the 50 and 200 day for the better part of a month. Meantime, opening bells coming up in less than five minutes. Don't go anywhere.
few minutes here before the opening bell. Futures continue to look positive as we are going to aim at least for the 70th record close of the year. We'll see if we can get that later on today. <clears throat> Meantime, keep your eye on the chips. Uh, Scott, the action in the socks in NVIDIA, KLA, Teradyne, AMD was just one of the more impressive parts of yesterday's price action. Yeah, uh, technology continues to do really well. And I know we focus all on the mega caps, but you just said it. Uh, NVIDIA, uh, AMD, uh, some of those names that are leading that higher. Let's mention Apple, too, guys. We're approaching $3 trillion in market cap again, and we're only like $1.75 away from that. So we may very well eclipse that, uh, Leslie, today uh, as well as we take a look at, at the, um, you know, there, there's the stock right there. Pretty good year, do you think? Up 36 percent? Oh, yeah, I think any company would be pleased with that kind of return for this year. I was just taking a look at some of the uh, the retail action today and some of the names that you were mentioning, Tesla, Apple, NVIDIA, all leading the way in terms of the biggest orders by Fidelity customers, at least. That kind of just gives a sense of the pulse for the retail investor at the end of the year. But uh, some data from Robert Hum showing that yesterday's price action on the S&P was the best First day of the Santa Claus rally, which typically takes place in the last five trading days of the year, first two of January since 2000. And it appears as we have the opening bell right now that we could have another up day, although given the volatility these days, Carl, you just never know. <laughs> it's very true. Um, yeah. And given the volume of, of uh, this classic week between uh, Christmas and New Year's. But there is the opening bell and the CNBC real time exchange of the big board. It is BlackRock in celebration of its iShares ETF at the Nasdaq. Members of the Bowery Mission providing meals and shelter to the homeless uh, in New York City. One other note about Apple, guys, uh, is the fact that they are closing uh, 12 of their New York City stores. It's interesting, Scott. You know, we, we've tended to look at a few uh, specific corporates as sort of bellwethers as to how industry is dealing with COVID restrictions. Apple was a big one. I remember the day in March of 2020 when they closed stores. So doing it again on a temporary basis because of the Omicron spread. Uh, the other, of course, is Goldman uh, requiring boosters, which I know Joe talked to Scaramucci and Mick Mulvaney about uh, in the last hour, uh, beginning in February. And of course, Goldman has required uh, vaccines for all of their staff, really going back to August. Uh, but the banks... Um, are having to wrestle with this, maybe more than every industry other than, say, logistics and freight. Yeah, and I'm also thinking about those new uh, rules, if you want to call them rules from the CDC and how it's going to impact you know, jobs in New York City. Since we're talking about a lot of the banks, you have the, the booster requirements in New York City, as you said, uh, Carl, with Goldman Sachs and, and some of the other institutions. I'm also thinking about you know, the NBA and the NFL and how these new regulations are are a real gift is the, the commentary that I've read this morning to some of those businesses that have just been been hit so hard uh, by by Omicron and covid. You just look at the football game that was on TV last night, uh, Miami and the Saints, and you had the Saints with 20 some odd players uh, on the covid list. So you're you're getting right to the, the heart and the meat, if you will, of the the money time. In, in those sports, you're approaching the playoffs, not only from a rating standpoint, but from playoff bonuses and, and things like that. Uh, all of it uh, matters right now. The commentary for the most part is positive. It's why Tom Lee talks about there's a lot more fuel left to the rally. If the Santa Claus rally started yesterday, we'll see how long it can go. But look, even he talks about what the other side of, of everything is going to bring. He told us yesterday it's not going to be so easy. Let's listen. 
I think 2022 is really treacherous. Um, so if we are at 5,000 in January, uh, we could be down by June from there. Um, but I do think for the full year next year, it's a double digit year, uh, partly because, you know, we're still in a solid expansion. Monetary tightening doesn't kill bull markets, but it creates a lot of volatility in front of it. So I think if the, if the Fed liftoff is in the summer, by December, the markets can look a little bit past that. And so I think we're still up 10% for the year. So, Carl, I think most people would take a 10% gain in the S&P 500 as pretty good, <laughs> albeit not as great as we've had this year. Uh, you know, you get a little spoiled when the uh, spigot is wide open and the, the liquidity just flows and pushes the markets to record highs uh, almost every day, you know, with some peaks and valleys and, and things like that. But then it starts to get real next year. You're going to start talking much more about the, the Fed and the change of policy. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's going to depend a lot on, on how hot we want to run it and, and how much, you know, a future variant or even the existing variants that we're dealing with sort of suppress economic activity. Um, interesting, Leslie, to look at the spread on the yield curve today, um, say twos, tens, uh, flattening once again, implications for the banks. Uh, and we've talked a lot about uh, the disparity between the market's belief and the FOMC's belief about what will be necessary next year. Yeah, that's right. Especially when you look at kind of the global picture and how that's impacted, uh, you know, the the yield curve as well. But kind of going back to that that point about the banks, you know, I speak with a bunch of investors all the time, and it's one thing to be in a business and be, um, you know, you have to be at work, whether it's the NBA or Broadway or working at a port or working at a restaurant. For financial services, there's a really big question about whether you want your workers to be back in the office right now. Goldman Sachs is taking one route here with regard to boosters and, and requiring uh, kind of moving forward with their mandate to be back in the office. But a lot of investors and a lot of banks are kind of operating like smaller businesses. And it's if you want to come in, you can. There's a tight labor market, so they don't want to force anyone uh, to be in the office if they don't feel comfortable doing so. That's going to be a really big question as we look to 2022 for the financial services industry as a whole, which I think is at a real inflection point with these new uh, CDC guidelines, Carl. Yeah. You know, and as for sports, Scott, um, I know you mentioned uh, football and the NBA and the NHL and how we've watched the major leagues sort of uh, try to get creative and, and stay nimble amid the various waves of uh, COVID. But the Olympics are in 38 days in Beijing where they have a zero uh, case policy. And it's going to be really fascinating to see whether or not uh, China is able to suppress it essentially to zero in time for all those athletes from 100 plus uh, countries all around the world coming in and hopefully minimizing any spread. It'll be interesting, too, to see if the the timelines and some of these forecasts, Carl, whether it's, you know, when Omicron is, is said to peak or at least thought to peak, maybe in the in the middle of January, how all of that could be happening as you're really starting to think about the opening ceremony of the Olympics, not all that far away. You're starting to think about the Super Bowl uh, and out in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. And, you know, when you're going to start getting huge crowds of people together in some of these global events, be it Olympics, Super Bowl, NBA playoffs, uh, if some of those timelines are correct and Omicron is peaking in a matter of two to three weeks, all of that 
uh, is going to be fascinating to watch. We should also mention, guys, since we're looking at the markets here and you got the Dow higher by 112, there was an interesting um, you know, article that, that I know we all saw. And since we're talking about the rally, uh, that one person who missed out on it yesterday and you know, for, the, for the better part of a, many weeks at this point is uh, Kathy Wood uh, and the ARC funds and how yesterday the innovation fund was down more than 1% while the NASDAQ 100 was up 1.6%. And the NASDAQ's not all that far away from record highs in its own right. And as Leslie was talking about the, the interest rates and the relation to the banks and what, what all of that means, you've got a tenure that can't get over 1.5%. And you still have a lot of those high valuation tech stocks, Carl, that still can't get out of their own way. And that's the result that you have when you look at the innovation fund and some of Kathy Wood's stocks, which are ending the year with a whimper and not maybe the bang that she hoped to try and get back some of the losses that they faced throughout the better part of the year. That's a great point. And one of the benefits. Oh, sorry, Carl. I was just going to say. I was going to say to Scott's point. Worst year since inception. And actually, people were looking last night, Leslie, at uh, her overnight paucity of buys, yes. essentially all sells, and what that might mean for year-end activity. That's exactly what I was going to say. One of the nice things about these funds is that they are so transparent with their daily uh, purchases and sells. And yesterday, I mean, you just scroll through the list. They're not big moves by any means, but there are sells across the board with regard to all of her funds uh, going into the end of the year, which is different than what a lot of managers are doing right now, which is actually loading up on some more names to try and lock in some gains uh, before the end of the year, before they have to report those numbers to their clients and to their investors. And so this definitely represents a big departure here. Of course, it's also been marked by a year where we've seen a lot of shorting strategies directly related to some of these funds, which also creates an interesting dynamic that we don't see with your traditional ETF out there. It'll be interesting to see what next year brings, because, of course, last year, ARK's funds did perform extremely well. This year, dramatic negative alpha relative to the broader indexes. But again, it's a it's a unique fund, heavy concentration, heavy high growth that's been out of favor this year. So, We'll see what next year brings, but this year, not looking like we'll be able to, uh, or she'll be able to knock in, uh, lock in some gains. Yeah. You know, guys, um, as we talk about sort of year-end window dressing, it's kind of interesting to, to watch Tesla here. Uh, got above 1,100 uh, pre-market. I noticed today a Wedbush does take their target to 1,400, uh, saying the company's operating from a, quote, clear point of strength. But Scott got down into the mid-800s eight, um, just before Christmas. Uh, currently this morning, a high level, going, going back to the beginning of December, uh, but it's going to be interesting who wants to show that they own it at year end and then what the company is going to do in the face of what we widely expect will be multiple competitive offerings from legacy OEMs and a bunch of new startups as well. I know one person who's going to want to show that they own it at year end. That's the person we were just talking about. It's <laughs> Kathy Wood. Right. And she's one of the biggest supporters of Tesla. By the way, is Musk done selling yet? Is he done selling his stock? I mean, maybe because that's been one is. of the weights on the stock. At least uh, of late. We'll see, we'll yeah. see what the new year uh, brings in terms of that. But we'll get back to focusing on deliveries and all of the fundamentals <laughs> that matter more than anything else as it relates to Tesla. Uh, not focusing perhaps so much or maybe we will on Musk's day to day tweets or musings or, you know, whatever else he is talking about outside of the, uh, the Tesla sphere. Yeah. 
Guys, we got an all-time high on the S&P again. Uh, most of the sectors are green and some relative strength in travel names for once. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Morning, Bob. Good morning, Carl. And uh, we did open at a new high, but it's kind of flattish right now. And the market, the green side of the market uh, is very defensive, uh, perhaps understandably. We've had quite a run in the last four or five days. We're due for a pause. We're a little bit overbought. So in terms of what's moving today, healthcare, uh, consumer staples, utilities, those are all classic defensive sectors uh, that are doing better. Uh, semiconductors had a great run, new highs on a lot of them, but kind of flattish today. Banks also kind of flattish. Uh, we look at banks and industrials, the more cyclical side of the market, again, a little bit on the flat side. So very defensive uh, open to the market, understandably. New high list, well, yeah, we're at a new high in the S&P, but again, those new high list is very defensive names on it. Uh, so you see healthcare names like United Healthcare is at a new high. A lot of the big consumer names, Procter and Gamble, uh, CVS uh, at new highs, utilities, a bunch of them like Exelon also at new highs. Again, this is very uh, defensive, new high list, the smattering in tech, pretty small. Again, defensive. So why are we at new highs? It's pretty understandable if you, uh, if you get the basic concept here that the country is not going to have a mass shutdown. That's kind of what's going on. Look what happened to the CDC. How do you address the worker shortages? You, you shorten the quarantine period. That's what they're doing. Send them home. Put them away for five days. If they test negative, bring them back to work. Not shutting down the entire economy. That's the whole key to this game because if you have that, then you're dealing with supply chain issues and inflation. You can argue maybe it's been peaking now. It's still elevated, but it's peaking. You don't have mass shutdowns. You have a shot that the supply chain is going to improve. At the same time, you've got rates. We've got a flat yield curve. Uh, Long-term rates aren't going up that much. And then we have the earnings tailwind, which is substantial. We're talking about the average estimate is 10% growth in the S&P for earnings in 2022. There's a lot of people who think it's 20% at this point. They, they're much more bullish than the actual numbers here. So you put it all together with a strong economy. It's little wonder we're at new highs right now. That's the good news. And all this is good news right now. The bad news is... We are very overbought. We've had one heck of a run in the last five days. We're up almost, what, 240 points or so? That's about a 5% move in the last five days. Uh, that's pretty stretched going into the end of the year right now. So the question is, where do we go from here? So usually the game in the last week of December, the game is what's going to happen in January. But we had very unusual events. We have Omicron and we have a 27% gain on the S&P 500 this year. That's quite amazing. Now, I think my friends over at Datatrek were pointing this out. Average January is up about 1%, 1.2%. It's an up month, traditionally. We all know that. But when the S&P registers 20% gains or more, that doesn't happen very often. January tends to be flattish. So, Carl, you get this sort of pull forward uh, on the January gains when you've had very outside gains in 2022. And our friends over at Datatrack point out that in the last 40 years, we've been up 20% or more 16 times. Eight of the times that January has been up, eight of the times it's been down. So generally, you get flattish January when you've had outsized gains for the year before. We'll keep an eye on that and see how we do going into the last three days, four days of the year. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Thanks, uh, Bob Bassani. Quick programming note this morning. Uh, do not miss our CNBC special tonight, Your Money 2022, hosted by our Wilfred Frost. It's coming up tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern. Time for the bond report as well as we take a look at how treasuries are faring. We mentioned some of the curve flattening this morning. Two years, 74 basis points, and the 10-year back to 1456. 
as the S&P notches yet another intraday high. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Energy bouncing back in a big way on track to finish 2021 as the year's best performing sector, up 50 percent this year. Christina Partsinevelis has more on the energy surge. Christina, what's behind these big moves? No, I'll get to that. But I just want to point out it was just literally last year when West Texas intermediate contracts were negative in April 2020, making history. Prices have since recovered, and now energy is on pace to be the top-performing sector, like Leslie mentioned, of the S&P 500 this year. The energy sector is now above, well, look at that, over 48% year-to-date, handily beating returns for the S&P 500, which is at just about 27% higher on the year, and of course follows the rise in oil prices. WTI just crossed above its 50-day moving average, and that was about 77 bucks. now back down to 76 It hasn't traded above that level since mid-November and already up well above 57% year-to-date. And so that means oil and gas stocks have been top performers, even as environmental, social, and governance uh, takes hold, ESG, and we all ramp up to curb our reliance on fossil fuels. The energy ETF XLE is on pace for its best year since its inception back in 1998. And Devon Energy, which provides upstream oil exploration services, is the top performer, up a whopping 182%, followed by Marathon Oil and Diamondback Energy, all more than doubling year to date. Exxon, for example, is on track for its best year ever, and Chevron is set for its best year since 1989. If the sector is tracking this high, what does it mean for next year? Well, Wall Street is pretty darn bullish. According to J.P. Morgan analysts, despite strong growth this year, they predict U.S. supply will likely only return to pre-COVID volumes in July 2023. And then two of their best picks, not already mentioned before, uh, so far is Synovus, a Canadian integrated oil company, and Schlumberger, a top pick in oil services. You have RBC analysts pointing out many, many energy firms are flush with cash after heavily reducing costs. Another reason why we saw the sector up higher and answering Leslie's question. Uh, their top picks for this year are California Resources Corporation as well as ConocoPhillips. And then an interesting, you know, twist of events, I should say, or a different angle. City analysts warn shareholder acts, activism is pushing for more, and we could see major oil breakups into smaller firms heading into the near future. Nonetheless, energy is on pace to be the top performer for the year, a feat we haven't seen in the past five years. Carl? Uh, fascinating look at uh, all of the aspects of energy right now. Uh, Christina, thank you. Uh, Leslie, I did notice this morning uh, Gas Buddy forecasting that the national average for retail gasoline is going to get back to 341, uh, they think, maybe by Memorial Day. So it does sound like Q1, Q2 are going to be sort of an echo of the conversation we had not too long ago. Uh, yeah, especially with regard to uh, that article in the Wall Street Journal this morning that economists are paring back their growth estimates. Uh, interesting, though, on the energy front, I was just taking a look at, you know, by strategy, how the hedge fund performance is done. Energy has been a big loser over the past few years. These hedge funds that focus on energy investments in particular, this year they are the best strategy among any hedge fund strategy out there. Energy up about 26 percent compared to tech investors who are up closer to, say, 14 percent, or I'm sorry, 3 percent for the year. So huge disparity historically over the last few years or so. Tech, biotech investing has really been the standout winner here. Hedge funds standing out more in energy this year, although still trailing the broader sector by about half. Carl. 
Interesting. Energy, one of the few sectors not in the green so far this morning, along with information technology. You got the VIX uh, still below 18 or so, actually just above at the moment, uh, but S&P all-time high. By the way, if you missed it, uh, David's exclusive interview with uh, outgoing Disney chief Bob Iger, the exit interview that we played last week, is on .com. You can catch that at CNBC.com. In the meantime, Squawk on the Street is coming right back. A strong holiday shopping season is in the books. Is it a sign of things to come for retail in 2022? Courtney Reagan joining us now with a look at next year's buying opportunities in that sector. Good morning, Court. Hi, good morning, Scott. So all the various subsectors and company stories in retail naturally leads to a variety of opinions among stock pickers. But a handful of stocks are seeming to pop up on more than one top picks for 2022 list. So I've gotten for you. The consumer isn't expected to markedly weaken in 2022, but the thrill of the deal and the treasure hunt is still a key theme for many analysts and expected consumers. The off-price sector has been hot for a while, and the dislocation in the supply chain over the last 18 plus months is something that thinks is something that leads many analysts to believe that shoppers are going to be very interested still in the off price sector. So names like Five Below and Burlington are popping up on a lot of lists as opposed to TJX, that previously sort of hot name for retail uh, in the off-price sector. Walmart also is a name that many analysts are interested in as it's underperformed the broader retail sector this year. It's a top pick for UBS's JSOL, who says the stock is mispricing e-commerce impact. Telsey Advisory Group also has Walmart on its top picks list. Amazon is another top e-commerce play for 2022 after a subpar performance in 2021 as well. Well, several analysts say it's poised to break out in the new year. Lowe's is a top 2022 pick, stock pick for Bank of America, Oppenheimer, and UBS. And while MasterCard spending Pulse's holiday sales results point to a strong holiday for department stores, there's differing opinions on Macy's for 2022. Cowan's Oliver Chen puts Macy's as his top pick for the year, forecasting it'll take share from department store rivals and grow profitably thanks to his leadership in Omnichannel and focus on engaging younger customers. Conversely, UBS's JSOL is negative on Macy's and has a sell rating. He says Macy's will continue to lose share to pure play online and off-price players, as well as brands own websites leading to lower sales and operating margins. So that's one of the battleground names I was able to find here early on. Carl? <laughs> There's going to be some fierce debates, especially once we start watching for promotional activity after the new year court. Thanks, uh, Courtney Reagan. Take you a break here. Take a look at the markets on uh, this uh, holiday week. Got the Dow up 170 and the S&P above 4,800, 4,8,04, uh, notching a new all-time high. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step. But having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.